As Pastor Ron talked about it, we're going to be at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So please uh, open up your books or your Bibles and maybe turn to your devices to uh, turn to, the, to Matthew 28, 18 and 20. And it's a little bit of context. This is Jesus' final charge, big charge to the disciples before he leaves for heaven. This is the climax of the gospel of Matthew. I mean, if we miss this, we miss the entire book. And really, if we miss this, we miss our purpose as Christians while God has us on this green earth. And this is about the Great Commission and to go and make disciples. And we're pretty much going to focus in on verse 18 here. And, but we're going to, like as Pastor Ron talked about, we're going to be taking three weeks to cover Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. So please rise if you're able to. We do this to honor the Lord as we rise for the reading of his word. I'll be reading out of the NASB version. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority, all authority, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord. I pray that we will worship you as we hear your word preached. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. The Great Commission. This is the, the instructions, the command, the charge, the marching orders that our Lord gives us. This is our job descriptions as Christians. This is what the essence of we're called to be about. And the Great Commission is, in essence, the central theme of Evergreen SUV. If you're wondering, what are we about? Discipleship. Discipleship. And what is discipleship? Discipleship is being in intentional relationships with one another. Intentional. We're intentional about this for becoming more like Christ. In other words, which we help each other become more like Jesus. Discipleship is twofold. In order to become like Christ, we have to come to Christ first. So evangelism is the first arm of discipleship. Evangelism, we preach and share the gospel with one another so that we would have come into saving faith with Jesus Christ. We'll be brought into a genuine love relationship with Jesus. Second arm of discipleship is edification or sanctification, where we help one another Become more like Christ. We build each other up. So it's very clear as we read Matthew 28, 18 to 20, that discipleship is what the Great Commission is all about. Now, any charge or any commission that gives us, that it's given to us, is only tied in to the one who given us, given it to us. Meaning, if I can say it better, the seriousness of any commission is tied to the one who gives it to us. So today, we're going to look to Christ as he is the authority. He says, all authority has been given to me. He is the one who's, who is the Lord of all. This is the common uh, confession of a Christian, that Jesus is Lord. And so as we look to verse 18 here, it says, all authority. What does that mean, all authority? That means in total, absolute. Jesus is the authority over everything. That means he is the power, the ruler, the controller of all things. And so today, just to give you a little bit of a format on how we're going to preach the sermon, is I'm going to give you a framework here of a funnel. We're going to start out at the macro. We're going to start at the cosmic level, how Jesus is the King of kings, Lord of lords. And then we're going to funnel it down to how Christ is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the global church. And, but he's also the head of the local church. And then we're going to even funnel it down to how does Christ rule at Evergreen SGV? And then even to the microscopic level of how he rules each and an individual heart's in our church family. Okay, so that's kind of the format. And the Ephesian church is going to teach us what it means that Christ is the head of the church, he's the head of all created things. So let's turn with me to, uh, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 is a letter written by Paul. And if 
Ephesus is a city, and the Ephesian church is a church that Paul was help, helping to pastor. This is a letter written to the church. And we're going to be at verse 1, I mean chapter 1, verse 20. So we're going to start out at the cosmic level here. We're going to start at the biggest level here, the widest level how Christ has all authority here. We're going to start off in verse 20, right around the middle, when it says, When, when he, God the Father, raised him, the Son of God, from the dead, and seated him, Jesus, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, and power and dominion in every name that, that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So we're learning about that Christ, his authority is over everything. The Bible says right here, he was seated at the right hand of God. What does that mean? That means he's seated at the highest throne. There is no higher authority than this. There is no higher throne than this. This is the highest seat possible. And Jesus has been seated at the highest throne at the right hand of God. And the Bible says in verse 20, far above all authority, far above all rule. What does that mean? There's no rival. It's not even close that the Bible says that Jesus is the ruler, has authority over every ruler from the past, from the present, and in the future. Meaning, Jesus is, has authority over every pharaoh, every Caesar, Every czar, every emperor, every king, every president, every prime minister, every governor, every government official, Christ is the head of all things. And it's not even close. The Bible says far above. And it also says he's far above all power and dominion. What is this talking about? This is talking about the angelic world, the spiritual world. Christ has authority over every angel, Every demon, every fallen angel, including Satan. Christ has complete authority over all. And not just for now. The Bible says in verse 21, that then not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is not only the Lord right now, but he's in the age and the era to come with his kingdom forever and ever. So Jesus, point number one is Christ is the eternal Lord of all. This is what this means when it says Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That means he is the eternal Lord of all. His kingdom, his lordship will never end. And in verse 22 here of Ephesians chapter 1, it says, And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So subjection. This idea is kind of a military term, if you could follow with me. Some of you guys may be sitting on your couch at home, and you might have an ottoman or kind of a, a, a footrest. Imagine this. Uh, in, in the military sense, a king is defeated, and the defeated king is brought to the victorious king as he's sitting on his throne, and he puts his feet and lays them at the defeated king. This is emblematic of like, I am victorious over you. I have authority over you now. And Jesus has done this to everybody, to every human ruler, but also even in the spiritual realm. Satan is the king of this world. And Jesus has defeated him and has placed his feet on top of Satan. Jesus is the eternal king. And he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. This is what, this is the Jesus that we're talking about in Revelation 19 where he comes riding on a horse to do business with his enemies. And it says that he, it's written, he, it says king of kings, Lord of lords on his body. This is the same king that we're talking about. And so as we're talking about this ser sermon series about go getting back to church basics, how does Jesus' cosmic authority affect the church. Well, let's look at verse 22 here. It says this, And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So point number two is this, that Christ is the head of his church. He rules his church. And we're talking about church at a global level. So Christ is the head, as, as Pastor uh, Ron talked about. The head is the most important part of the body. All right? 
The toes and the knees, they do not tell what the head is, what to do. The head is the one that tells the knees and toes what to do. This is how it works. This is a, we all have bodies. We understand this. We understand that our brains are contained in the head, and, the, and our heads is what tells the body what to do, what to say, how to move, and how to bend. Head, in essence, means authority. Kephala is, is, is a word in the original language. Authority is sovereign ruler. The head rules the body. And the body is the church. That's you and me, brothers and sisters. Some of us may be the elbow. Some of us may be the arm. Some of us may be the, not, not as seen the internal organs of the body. Some of us may be the toes or knees, as Pastor Ron talked about. And so the body is the church. This is, and this is talking about every single Christian to ever walk the earth, every single son or daughter of God who's been called to be part of his family. This is what the, the body is about. And so Jesus, not only is he the cosmic king, he's also the head of the church, every single Christian. Now this is important now. How does Christ actually rule the church? This is important for us to understand this. I personally have not seen Jesus face to face. I personally have not heard Jesus audibly give me any instructions. But he leads me, and we're going to find out how our Lord rules his church. And we're going to funnel down now to the local church level. We're going to take a look at Ephesus even closer here now. And now Paul's role in the life of the Ephesian church is documented in Acts 20. So turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Turn to your left a little bit from Ephesians, Acts 20, and we'll be starting at verse 20, 24. So as you're turning there, this is a very emotional part of Acts. Basically, Paul saying farewell to the Ephesian church. He's loved this church. He's discipled their pastor, their Timothy. He was his understudy. He loves this church. And basically, he's telling him, I'm, I'm not going to see you again. Because after I leave, I'm going to be uh, arrested in Jerusalem, eventually shipped to Rome, eventually where he would be imprisoned, and then he would and be killed and executed by the, by the Caesar himself. But this illustration just gives us a picture of how Christ actually rules the local church. So we're following down to that level now. Acts 20, verse 24. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts 20, verse 24. I'm going to start off with verse 24. But I do not count my life of any account as dear to myself. Why, Paul? So that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. Point number three, how does he rule the local church? Christ appoints his under shepherds. That's how he does it. Bible says, which I received from the Lord himself. So in essence, Paul was chosen. Paul was a chosen instrument from the Lord. Paul was chosen before the foundations of the world. Paul was chosen before he was formed in his mother's womb. God had a plan for Paul before time began. God has a plan for you and me before we've been even born. Every single Christian has a purpose in the church. Some of us serve as apostles like Paul. Some of us serve as pastor teacher like me. Some of us serve in leading worship. Some of us just simply serve one another. But somehow we're able to utilize our gifts to serve the church. And God is the one that has appointed you and me to do his work in the church. So God appoints his under shepherds. And so Paul was a man who basically was handed this down personally from the head and said, you are going to be an apostle for me. You're, going to, you're a cho chosen instrument to spread the gospel. Paul was on this cosmic mission. And Paul was someone who was absolutely consumed with his mission. Let's look at verse 24 again. But I do not consider my life of, a, of any account as dear to myself. Why? So that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord. I do not consider my life as being so dear to me anymore so that I could finish. Paul was not playing it safe. Paul was all in. He put it all on the line. He was willing to suffer. This man was undistracted. This is the type of person that was so focused 
Do you know anyone like that in your lives? Do you have those role models in your life where, man, that, that brother or sister's all in? Why is he or she not burdened with the things of life that I am burdened with? Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Has God given you an example of that where people will move and do things just because they want to serve the Lord? People will do things and order their lives where it doesn't make sense on a worldly level, on a financial level, on a safety level, where people will just do these things because they're on fire for Christ. Do you know anyone like that? Paul was that person. Paul was that person. I know we've been going through the coronavirus, and maybe a lot of us have forgotten this, but right now, today should have been the closing ceremony for the Tokyo Olympic Games, right? I mean, when I was in Japan a couple years ago, they're getting everything ready for the Olympics. Like, all right, Olympics going to be here in 2020. This is a big deal. And today, August 9th, would have been the closing ceremony. I mean, maybe you guys didn't even remember that, but I'm a big sports fan, so I kind of, I feel some of these things. And an Olympic athlete needs to have supreme focus, just like any professional athlete. This is the pinnacle. This is the Olympic Games. This is what every young girl and boy who dreamt of being an athlete wants to get to something. I want to get to the Olympics someday. But getting to the Olympics isn't good enough. You want to perform as well as you can, right? And that requires supreme focus. You cannot be distracted. And the number one distraction is this. Hear me now. I spent my whole life trying to help people perform as well as they can. Is fear. Fear is the number one distraction that keeps performers from performing to the best of their abilities. This is it. So an Olympic athlete needs to be totally focused. Fear cannot hold him back from his mission. I mean, think about it. If you're going to dedicate every fiber of your being to accomplish a goal, you can't do that if you're scared. You, you're going to hold back 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%. Be fully in, you have to be fearless. And this is what our Lord calls us to be. This is why Paul was this way. He wasn't worried about the things of the world. He was consumed. He was possessed. He was operating at a whole different level. Right? He was a, on a different planet where people are looking at him and acts like, oh my goodness, I've never met anyone like you before. That's Paul. Paul's heart was right so that he could give everything, everything to the cause, to be faithful to the cause. Because he knew the one who called him was, is greater than the challenges of life. Christ, the head, the one who has authority of all things, is bigger than the challenges of life. And what was Paul's event? You know, because in Olympic Games, there's different sports. Some of you guys like to watch basketball, volleyball, maybe gymnastics, track and field. Even track and field has various events. What was his event? His event was to preach. So point number four is Christ rules through his word. Let's take a look at Acts 20 here. We're going to keep marching down Acts 20 here. At the end of verse 24, I'm going to just, just rapid fire kind of hit up, hit some of these terms. To testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25, whom I went about preaching the kingdom. Testifying, preaching. Verse 27, for I did not shrink back from declaring declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Paul's event was to preach God's word. This is how Christ rules the local church. He appoints his under-shepherds who will preach and minister the word of God. And not only just the gospel message which saves, which is absolutely critical and central to what we talk about, but Paul was saying, I preached the whole counsel of God. He, Paul's saying in verse 27, I did not edit from anything from the word. I talked to you about every single doctrine. Some pleasant, some, not, some heart, more challenging doctrines. He didn't hold back. He didn't go, mm, that could uh, disrupt the culture and the, uh, uh, of our church. I, I better not talk about that. No, he preached it all. In verse 26 of Acts 20, it says, Therefore I testify to you that 
this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. I preach everything to you, brothers and sisters, Paul's talking about. He's talking about how he basically didn't hold back. I told you everything. I'm innocent. I spoke the truth. I preached the truth. I declared the truth. I testified to the truth. And therefore, I'm innocent. I've been faithful to what I've been called to do. So Paul's event was to preach the word. And Paul modeled this perfectly to the Ephesians. And about 10 years later, he, he instructs Timothy. We'll have a slide for you out of 2 Timothy here to do this. Start 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. He says, you've been given God's word. Man of, man of God is a preacher. So now, 10 years later, he's writing this letter to Timothy, his understudy, and basically Paul knows that his life is coming to an end. He's already been arrested. He's in Rome. His life's going to come to an end. So Paul's event, if I were to say it is, he's like a 1,600-meter Relay race runner. What is that? So in, in track, a whole lap is 400 meters. All right, so 1,600 meters would require four laps. So one person will take one lap and ha after 400 meters, hand the baton off and do that four times to make six, it's a 1,600 relay. So Paul, at, as he's ending his life, he's handing the baton off to Timothy, his understudy, and Timothy gets the baton, and now Paul is charging him to continue on to preach the word. That's what he's talking about. And look what he does. Just like Matthew 28, 18, he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, to do what? On the, based on the authority of God and Christ Jesus, verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all great patience and instruction. Paul is saying, whether it's popular or unpopular, preach the word. Warn, correct, teach with all patience. Preach the word. So Timothy takes the baton, and now he's running. So the primary task of the elder or the pastor is to develop the mind of Christ in the church family. How do you do that? You preach the word. The more we have God's word embedded into our hearts, the more we have the mind of Christ. And when we have the mind of Christ, we start thinking like Christ. We, have, we start to develop the same attitude as Christ has. We start having the same affections that Christ has. We Therefore, the head begins to rule the church. See how this works? Very practical. Preach the word. And Christ uses elders to lead. Who are elders? These are spiritually mature men who know and love God's word. Who's gifted in teaching and preaching the word of God. Men who will be able to exercise spiritual oversight according to what the word of God says. The mind of Christ. This is how Christ rules the local church. Now, it's important now that we understand this. This is why week in and week out, we open up the scriptures. Week in and week out, we preach the word. This is why in your small groups, we emphasize the word. That's why in our youth groups, we emphasize the word. The word is central to everything that we do because we're all in a learning process. We're all, God is developing the mind of Christ in all of us at various stages. But without the word... We don't have the mind of Christ. Notice, the preachers that come up here, we're not preaching human wisdom. Notice, we're not talking about my own ideas or somebody else's ideas. We're preaching Christ's ideas. We're preaching the wisdom of Christ. This is the power of God's word. Now, I want us to ask this question. Why, what motivated Paul to be so fired up what would 
possess a man to say, <laughs> I'll put it all on the line. I'm going to give it all up to be faithful to Christ. What drove Paul? Well, point number five is this. Christ rewards his under-shepherds. The reward. Let me, let me, let's go to verse 28 here of Acts chapter 20 here. Acts 20, 28. Verse 28. So Paul is giving a charge to the elders who are remaining on at Ephesus. Is be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I want to say, share something with you. Paul talks to the elders about be on guard for yourselves, first and foremost. Had this incredible uh, blessing back in June of 2017, before we even moved here, I, I came down uh, to meet with the staff. and But during that time, we had a Ligonier's conference uh, at our church site here in La Puente, right here in the sanctuary. Ligonier's conference is a, a reformed group uh, led by R.C. Sproul, who's with the Lord now. And one of the speakers, one of the keynote speakers, was John MacArthur. And uh, I remember Pastor Ron was helping administrate the conference, and uh, he came looking for us because Pastor John and I went up to my office and we were meeting and the conference people were looking for him because he was up to speak pretty soon. But I was asking him a question there. And I'll just, I haven't started at Evergreen yet as a pastor. I said, Pastor John, at the time, I think he was pastoring at Grace Community Church for 47 years. And, and I'd say, what would you tell a younger version of John MacArthur? What would you say? I'm that version. What would you say to that John MacArthur, 1969. And this is what he told me. Number one, your own spiritual life is the foundation of everything. What is your life like before God when no one else is watching? What is your thought life like? This is what he's exhorting me. And he gave me a, an illustration. He goes, he goes, time and truth go hand in hand. I said, what do you mean by that? Well, time and truth go hand in hand because given enough time, the truth of who you are will come out. It will be found. So he's basically telling me, hey, watch your life before Christ. Who are you when nobody's watching? What do you think about? Do you allow temptations to run through you without being, without any side, uh, stop signs? Do you repent of sinful thoughts and sinful attitudes to the Lord? He basically exhorted me, hey, week after week, sit under the sanctifying work of the word. Study the scriptures as you prepare to preach. The greatest benefit is the fact that you get to stay in the word by yourself with the Lord. And the preacher is what gets the best out of it. So in essence, I was like, wow, makes sense. And, and, and he goes, really, at the end of the day, you want to know Christ more so you love him more. That's what he said. Right? Do you remember us preaching on John 21? Jesus asked Peter, do you what? That's right. Do you love me? Right? That is the essence. That's the defining mark of a Christian. The love for Christ is what will motivate us to be faithful to him, the head of the church. So I was grateful for that encouragement, that fatherly encouragement from Pastor MacArthur. Going back to Acts 20, 28, he goes, be on guard for yourself and for all the flock. For all the flock. That means guard, watch, know what's going on. Watch out for false teachers outside the church, inside the church. Be watchful of your people. That's what Paul's exhorting the elders of Ephesus to be about. Elders, shepherds, overseers, also need to guard the church from the spirit of the age. What does that mean, Rocky? That means the culture. Do we allow the culture to come in and to set the culture of our church, to set the mindset of the brothers and sisters here? Shepherds need to be watchful of this. Be on guard for yourself and for all the flock. Now here's the motivation part here. Here's the motivation part here. Shepherd the church of God, verse 28, shepherd the church of God, 
which he purchased with his own blood. See, this church doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to any board. Evergreen SUV is owned and run by Christ, the head of the church. He bought the church with his own blood. It's a stewardship. Every under-shepherd that's called to care for any local church has this hanging over our heads. This is a stewardship. Someday we will answer to Christ, the one who will be judging the living and the dead, the Bible says, to see how faithful we were. To see how faithful we were. Stewardship is the issue. Going back to the Olympic Games, one of the the most popular uh, events is not an actual competition, but it's actual the actual event that's most popular oftentimes in television is the medal ceremony, right? I mean, we all watched it. We, we hear the national anthem of various countries going up. We see the, the athletes standing there and the Olympic officials handing out bouquets and, and, and handing out bronze, silver, gold. And you see as that gold medal's hanging on the shoulders of that man or woman as they're looking at their flag being raised up and the national anthem being played, you see tears running down their face, right? And all of us, I mean, I know I have us wondered, man, I wonder what that would be like. Would, Lord, would you give me an event like that? I mean, you think to yourself as a boy, like, what is, would that be like? I think that's part of the, the appeal of the Olympic Games because it kind of draws us to this kind of romantic idea of like, man, what joy must that be like? As the athlete's standing there looking at the flag, tears are running because he's thinking to himself, it was worth it. The pain, the sacrifice, the focus, the discipline, it was worth it. And as you're standing there, you're thinking about mom and dad. You're thinking about coaches from the past. You're thinking about how the old neighborhood is cheering you on. You're thinking about all these things as people who care about you so much is watching on cheering for you. It's more than just their medal. It's just it, you represent a whole community. It was worth it. What a moment of joy, Right? Well, I want to give you Paul's heart on this. He knew that he would receive a reward, an award from the Lord someday. 2 Timothy 4, 7, 8, I think it will be on your screen. Paul writes, I have fought the good fight. It's a fight. It's a struggle. It's, a, it's tough. It's hard. It's going to cost you. I finished the course. I finished the race. My event is done. I've been faithful. I have kept the faith. Verse 8. In the future, in that day, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. On that day. Can you imagine that day, brothers and sisters? And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is not some Olympic dignitary putting a gold medal over your neck. This is Christ, the head of the church, the one who has authority of all things over heaven and earth, who's giving you a crown. Can you imagine in that day what that's going to be like? No wonder Paul was so fired up. He saw things so clearly. He wasn't about this world. He was about heaven. He was competing for a greater prize. That's why he was fearless. Paul finished his leg. And he was looking forward to that unexplainable moment of joy when he sees the Lord. The Lord will award me in that day. Now Paul was motivating Timothy's understudy who had the baton now to finish his leg faithfully because it will be equally as hard for Timothy. This is not an easy road or easy calling that Timothy has been given. Timothy needed all that encouragement as a younger pastor. And he needs to hear from the older pastor that it will be worth it. 2,000 years later, not only was Timothy motivated, I'm motivated. (laughs) Reading this grips my heart. I don't know if you could tell, but it grips my heart to be faithful to finish my leg. 
And this dominates my mind, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to serve as under-shepherd for Christ at Evergreen SUV, to minister the word, to guard the flock. What a privilege. And being faithful, what that means is to care for the sheep. That means you feed the flock the word, right? He told Peter, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Two times. Shepherd, shepherd my sheep. Care for them. Provide oversight. Provide soul care for my sheep. Hebrews 13, 17. That grips me. That absolutely grips me because there will be a reward on that day. That day's coming. That day's coming closer and closer every day. Paul knew it. Timothy got it. And now the pages of Scripture screaming to us that that day is coming for all of us. Now we funneled from the wide, from the cosmic level, down to the global church level, now down to the local church level. Now let's get it even closer. Let's funnel that down even more. How's Christ's authority rule Evergreen SGV? This is a practical application. I wanted to make sure I address the church family. And we've all been thinking about it. We've all been going through this whole situation with the coronavirus. You hear Pastor Terry uh, leading us in worship. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's touching on it. He's talking about it. We've basically talked about it every week. It's a serious issue here. And throughout these last couple of weeks, Christ has been really refining my heart. And this has been a challenging week for the uh, last couple of weeks for me. Just like Pastor John talked about, as I study the scriptures, it grips me, it refines me. I'm giving more clarity, giving more clarity of what it means to be a pastor. It's phenomenal. It's giving me a seminary, on-the-job seminary, as I just simply study the Bible. Let me give you a little timeline. Mid-March, I think it was March 14th or 15th, uh, that weekend we were not able to gather together on campus, so praise God, I'm grateful for our media team. Uh, with Pastor Terry, we are able to organize live streaming. So by God's grace, we have not missed one service. Can you imagine that? Praise be to the Lord. And, and as we were going through this situation, the principles of the scriptures that guided me was, let's honor the Lord by honoring the government of officials as none of us quite understood this coronavirus very well back in March. And also, let's allow the law of love to take over, meaning let's go through the protocols, let's wear, put on masks when we do gather so that those who have a conscience about that will not have to be distracted. Everyone's putting on masks, so we did that. So we started live streaming with nobody in here. And then the next progression is that the government allowed us to come in. So we had 100-person maximum in this enormous sanctuary, and we kept it to 100 people. And then we, to accommodate more, we opened up the NPR and opened that up for 100 people. I think the max was in the 70s that we hit uh, people who were interested in seeing a live stream together in the NPR. And then the, the government says that we're not able to sing, so... Awkwardly, we have to say, you know what, guys, we can't sing. Pastor Terry did an incredible job of shepherding through us during that service. So we, we complied to a T. And then the government says that we, we're not able to meet indoors anymore, so we've been meeting outdoors. This is our fourth week that we had outdoor service at 9 a.m. It's been steadily growing from 50s to the 60s to the 80s, and I don't know how many people came. I think more came today. It's been wonderful. So we've been very compliant to the government. Now, five months later, August 9th, 2020, the message that's being preached, the word that's been discoursing through my mind and my heart is that Christ is the head of the church. Amen. We would all say amen to that. Christ is the head, not the government. Christ is the one that will judge his under-shepherds. The government officials will not be judged in how they took care of the soul care of Evergreen SGV. I'll be judged by the Lord on that, on my faithfulness to the Lord. So you may be asking, well, pastor, where are you getting at? What's the, what is the shift, if at all, right? 
Well, we've been basically going along and defaulting to what the government has said. We've gone, we've, we've waited for the latest press conference. What, are the, what, what did the government just say? We waited for the latest press release. What was the latest guidelines? And then basically that set the course for how we do service, all right, and other things. But what I'm saying to you today, as the Lord has been convicting me through the word, that Christ is the, has all authority on heaven and on earth, that Christ is the head of the church, that Christ has appointed under shepherds, Christ rules through his word, Christ will judge his under shepherds and reward them according to their faithfulness, I will prayerfully consider what's best for Evergreen SGV. That's where we're at. What does that mean? Whatever we need to do to care for the souls of our church is what we're going to do. Now, just like fathers, I know fathers, as you're huddling around with your children right now at home, I know you do the same thing. This is the authority that you have over your homes. If something crazy is taught at school or they see something online or they have a coach or a teammate, a part of the sports team that kind of emphasizes something weird to your kids, you're going to step in. I know you would. You're a faithful father. You would do that. You would do that for your wives and your children. This is what fathers do. As pastors, our role, my role at Evergreen SGV is to be on guard, be on watch for the flock, the Bible says in Acts 20, 28. That means any false teachings. That also means the spirit of the age, the culture. Remember, the world, the government's part of the world. The world does not have the same agenda that Christ does for his church. Their role is to maintain order on, in, at the civic level. The role the under-shepherds are to care for the souls of those in the church, of the flock of God. We cannot default to the world to allow the world to set the culture and the mindset of our people. I, 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 we can't do that. So what is our posture towards the government? I want to be very clear about this. Our posture is a posture of honor and respect. We're not trying to be antagonistic to the government. We're not trying to do any of that. We're not. And, per, and, and as they laid out or lay out their protocols, we'll heavily consider them. We'll probably end up following these protocols, all right? However, Evergreen SGV must govern itself. We must exercise spiritual oversight over the church. So we could do something different from the guidelines. It may come to that point in, in that day where we would have to do something different to care for the church family. You may be asking, well, what is your thoughts on the coronavirus? Well, I'll let you know. I think the coronavirus situation is very serious, incredibly serious. I know that uh, Evergreen SGV family has been affected. Parents have been lost. We've had church family members having to be admitted to the hospital. We've had other uh, SGV members who have been tested positive. You know, and so this has been a serious thing. This is a heavy, very heavy on my heart and the pastoral team. This is heavy. This is hard for us. There's definitely a higher risk category, right? If you're 80 plus, 75 plus, that puts you in a higher risk category. If you have some kind of underlying health condition, these put you in a higher risk category. If you're entrusted to care for someone in this higher risk category, we have to be careful. We understand this. This is good stewardship. Continue to do that. But what needs to be addressed is what is acceptable to do. And what I would say is do not violate your conscience. Follow your conscience, church family. Follow your conscience. But the conscience must be informed by truth. Make sure your conscience, the mind of Christ, is being informed by the word. Stay in the scriptures. Search the scriptures that will address this situation. I've given you some today. Christ is the head of the church. Pray. Pray. Spend time praying as you this will help develop a godly conscience. And on the, for the with the coronavirus, take time to look at the facts. 
Take time to look at the facts yourself. What does California.gov put up? Look at those stats for California. Go off of the facts. Because what my concern is this. Perception could be reality. Perception could be reality. And our perception could be shaped by the news outlets, cable, internet articles, doctors, other authorities, social media posts, our own experiences, right? Even our own unique personalities, our perceptions could be shaped that way. And the one thing as a pastor I would like to be very direct on is this. Do not be fearful. If you're scared, our Lord calls us to not be fearful. Do not be fearful. Do not be fearful or tremble or be dismayed, the Bible says. Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. Right? Just like we sang earlier. I'm not alone. So if you're fearful, let's just simply repent of that. Let's just simply repent of that. We can't, in other words, we cannot be controlled by fear. There's no way we could be as effective and as faithful to the Lord when we're fearful. That's the point. Remember, courage isn't the absence of fear or concerns, okay? Courage is basically having a conviction to lay these things at the feet of Jesus, the head of the church, and say, all right, Lord, what are you calling me to do? Doesn't, doesn't mean you've got to be lack concern. That's not it. But you trust Christ as your head. The head also provides. Not only does he give direction, he is a source of life for us. He's a sustainer of life. And we want to mitigate any fear and have a, and, and inform our conscience through truth so that we could be as effective and as faithful to the Lord as possible. This is what we're talking about. This is how Christ rules the church at Evergreen SGV. This is a case study where how does Christ, the head of the church, inform us on how to address this coronavirus situation. Now, personally, I believe that the coronavirus is incredibly serious. We need to take this very seriously. We need to take proper precautions. But five months later, heading into our sixth month, I don't believe it's as deadly as advertised. Serious, but not as deadly as advertised. So therefore, we need to understand what is our own personal risk tolerance. This is what we're talking about here. This is what we're talking about. And I felt like I needed to say this because I know that our church family is inundated with many different voices. All right? You need to hear from your pastor. That's why you have me here, to preach the word and to help you, us how to go. This is where we're at. And so, what are the actions that we're going to be taking? And that's probably what you're wondering. Well, we're going to continue live stream. That's not going to change. For now, we're going to continue to meet outside at 9 a.m. That's not going to change. We've been following our protocols as people come together. And that outdoor service has been a rich, rich time. I'm telling you, it's been phenomenal. Just, just simple praise, Prayer and preaching, it's been a great time. And even some of our, we we've have a new bike policy, church family. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? To encourage this fellowship and just to allow the, uh, the, the, the children of our church to be blessed. We revamped the, the bike policy where we're allowing families to bring their kids into, they're biking around right now. As of now, they might be biking outside right now around the blacktop. And, and, and old Pastor Victor sent out, uh, the updates to church school, but these are the things that we want to do. We want to make this campus a blessing to bless our people and the local community. So I'll say this. If you're ready and it's agreeable with your conscience, come on out. It's time. Come on out. Join us outside. It's going to be a great time. But if your conscience isn't ready, well, follow your conscience. Take your time. You, every situation is unique. Totally get that. Totally understand that. If you're not ready, follow your conscience. But for me, this was a big mind shift for me because uh, this was a big deal because for me, I've, authority and submission has been huge for me all my life. I obey my father. I obeyed my coaches. I obeyed my pastors. This makes sense to me. However, as the pastor of our church, I'm looking at it deeper now into the soul care level of our church. 
We want to provide opportunities for people to be ministered to here on this campus. And there's an invaluable, invaluable opportunity to meet face-to-face. When I'm knocking door-to-door, incredible connections took place just by saying, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm the new pastor over there. People are delighted to meet us. It was incredible. There's nothing like face-to-face contact. So whenever you're ready, whenever you're ready. Now, let's funnel this down to the microscopic level. How does Christ's authority affect us at the heart level, each and every single one of us? Let's funnel this down even tighter here from evergreen to now to the heart level. We can't get into default mode, brothers and sisters. We cannot get into default mode. What does that mean? We can't just default by what the government says. We can't default just by what uh, the article says or what the media says or doctor says or an expert says. What is Christ, the head of the church, telling us? And that's not just for this situation, but for all situations of life. We cannot get into default mode. Christ, the head of the church, must be ruling every single one of us on, at a personal, individual level, right? So this is the most assuring thing that we need to hear, that Christ is the head. All authority has been given to him on heaven and on earth. And we do take him seriously. That's why whatever he says, we do. And because we trust him. You don't want anybody else to be the head of the church or your head. Christ is is the head of the church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word. I thank you for the opportunity to preach and to assure the people that you are in control, that you are the head. What could be more assuring than that? That all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Thank you, Jesus. So Lord, I pray this as Paul prayed this for the Philippian church. I pray that your love... that the love of Evergreen SGV may abound still more and more in real knowledge, in truth, and all discernment so that we may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Lord, give us a deep love for truth so that we're able to discern with your mind what's pleasing and what's not to you. Thank you, Father, for this word that Jesus, your son, is the head of the church. Based on the conviction of who you are, Lord, allow us to be strong and courageous people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.